0: Welcome to the Living Faith Missionary Church podcast. You're about to listen to a message from Pastor Chris Starn, Senior Pastor at Living Faith in Yoder, Indiana. It is our prayer that this message is an encouragement and a blessing to your life. You know, I always thought that Good Friday was uh, somewhat of a of a misnomer, meaning that you know it's it's I'm not so sure it was such a good day for those who were experiencing it. I don't think they would have called it Good Friday at the time. You know, Mary, Jesus' mother, would not have considered it a good day in, in her life, and a good day in the life of, life of Christ, her son. But see, here today we call it Good Friday. Why? Because of the good that it accomplished. And since hindsight's 2020, as they say, we can can look back on that day and we can say it was a good day. It's a good thing that happened. But we have to ask this question, why did Jesus have to die? Why did he have to be crucified on a cross? I mean, couldn't the all-powerful God find a different way? Is it possible? So we have to to look at the crucifixion to, to answer that question as far as why it had to happen this way. Because the crucifixion was one of the most significant events in the history of our world. So let's look at what the crucifixion did. First of all, the crucifixion regained what was lost at the Garden of Eden. When Adam and Eve sinned, it created this barrier between God and humanity... We we see in Isaiah 59, it says, But your iniquities have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden His face from you so that He does not hear. You see, God had walked with them in the garden in the cool of the morning. They had been seeing Him face to face. And now, a wall was created between their creator, and the creation. But see, sin, sin is the antithesis of God's nature. It says in Psalm 5, 4, it says, For you are not a God who delights in wickedness. Evil may not dwell with you. There was no way that Adam and Eve could sin and still be with God. It's not possible. And you and I, we cannot have sin in our lives and claim that we walk with God. Apostle John tells us in 1 John 1, he says if we say we have fellowship with Him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. See, our first parents were told by God Himself that if you ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, that you're going to die. But see, what they thought in their mind was, oh, we may die a physical death. They, they, they didn't understand. And, of course, the serpent didn't help any because he lied to them and he convinced them otherwise. But instead, it wasn't going to be a physical death. Yes, they, sooner or later, they would die. Physically. But at that moment, it was a spiritual death. This forever separation from God Ezekiel 18 says the soul who sins shall die the son the son shall not suffer for the iniquity of the father nor the father suffer for the iniquity of the son the righteousness of the righteous shall be upon himself and the wickedness of the wicked shall be upon himself we don't die for somebody else's sins that's not something that happens it only happened once that was on Good Friday. And it was only possible through a blood sacrifice. In Leviticus, the law tells us, for the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you, for on, you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. As I said, all of those sacrifices, and believe me, there were many. Thousands and thousands and thousands of sacrifices over the time. All of those were foreshadows of a sacrifice that Christ was going to make on the cross. A sacrifice for our sins that restored our right relationship with God, tore down the barrier between God and man. So that eternal life with God was again possible. That eternal life that was lost at the garden is now restored regained at the cross. We also have to understand that the cross was actually part of God's plan. The cross didn't surprise God. The cross didn't surprise Jesus. From his birth to the day that he that he died, he lived in the shadow of the cross. He didn't avoid the topic. He spoke of it many times. He told His disciples what was going to happen when they went to Jerusalem. He at least told them three times that we know of that He was going to be killed. But they thought it was all metaphoric. It was symbolic. They didn't understand that it was literal. So when the circumstances started to turn towards God's ultimate plan, it it kind of blew their minds. You kind of... You know, we can kind of understand why when they're in the Garden of Gethsemane and, and Jesus is there and he's praying and all of a sudden the crowd comes with, with, with torches and they're going to take him and the soldiers are taking him. They're kind of flabbergasted. They're, why is this happening? And so they run. And it's going to take the Holy Spirit indwelling them for them to fully understand the events that they had just experienced. And not just the events of Good Friday and Easter morning, but the events of the last three years of their lives when they spent with Christ. They didn't understand. So if you don't understand Scripture completely, it's okay. It's all right. They had Jesus teaching them, and they didn't understand. The Holy Spirit will reveal it to you. The cross was not a mistake. It was not this tragic turn of events. It was the plan from the start. In Isaiah 53, it says, Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. It was God's will. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days, and the will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. And what the King James Version of these verses puts it, it says, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. See, crucifixion was created as, as an extreme way of creating pain, torture, humiliation. It was part of God's plan. And God was pleased with the crucifixion. And that seems rather sadistic on God's part. When you think about it, that's why we ask the question: Wasn't there some other way? But see, see, God is not pleased with what Jesus had to— that Jesus had to go through this. He's not pleased that Jesus had to die a, a painful, torturous, humiliating death on the cross. It broke His heart to see His Son dying in such a cruel way. But He was pleased. God the Father was pleased with what the cross was going to accomplish. It was the only way. He was pleased with that eternal plan of salvation, that it was coming to fulfillment. Could you imagine the excitement that was going on in the throne room of God as as that leading up to that week and leading up to that day? They knew. The heavenly hosts, they knew this was it. This was a pivotal moment. This would be when everything would begin. This was the way of the righteousness of God. The demands of salvation would finally be met. God was pleased that the death of Christ would bring life to so many others. There has never been a time in history when such harsh, horrible treatment was vetted out onto one individual, to one person, that would lead to so many countless souls being redeemed, including you and me. It was part of God's plan. The crucifixion dealt a blow to the enemy and his minions. See, see, both God and the enemy, Satan himself, had the same goal at the cross, for Christ to die. That was the goal. But their objectives were at completely different ends of the spectrum. See, Satan wanted Jesus to die to stop him. Satan knew who Jesus was. He knew. He knew what Jesus was there to do. He thought that if he killed him, it would end it. God would have to come up with a different plan. And we have Jesus going around casting out demons, taking ground. Leading people away from the evil that they have been involved in, that have allowed them to be possessed by demons. Healing those who were sick. Healing those who were lame. And in the process, what Jesus was doing in his ministry, he was restoring his, the relationship that man had with God. He was doing, working the ground. He was doing the groundwork leading up to what it would take ultimately to fully restore that relationship. So Satan couldn't stand by and just let things happen. He had worked too hard and far too long to separate humanity from God the Father. And that's his ultimate goal all the time is to separate us from each other and from God. The interesting thing about it is that Satan had no idea that God was using him the whole time. He thought he was doing his own thing and the whole whole time God is actually working through him to achieve what he wants to happen. See, Satan thought that if if he could get Jesus to die, then Satan's kingdom could come into full fruition. That God's kingdom wouldn't come, and he would be, and Satan would be the winner. But see, the thing about Satan, and something he forgets, I think, is he's not omniscient. He doesn't know everything. He just thinks he does. And his actions were all part of God's plan. See, the amazing thing about the crucifixion, about that day, about that Good Friday, was not just that it was all part of God's plan, but that Jesus himself, knowing what was going to happen, because he was God, he knew what was going to happen, he did it willingly. How many of us would willingly do something, knowing we're going to die? We'd probably think of 50 different directions we can go to avoid that moment we're going to die. That's why you know we always wonder, why, why don't I know when I'm going to die? That's why, because you would probably avoid it, especially if you knew it was going to be a painful death. But Jesus knew, and he just went ahead with it. He just, in fact, he had laser focus on it. That's and during that week. It's what he was there for. That's what he was going to do. He voluntarily fulfilled God's objective, because see, God's objective would mean an end to Satan. He'd be done. They would put in motion God's plan to finally deal with this accuser, this father of lies. He would now... See, because now since Jesus had been living under the shadow of the cross since His birth, now with the crucifixion of Christ, Satan now lives under the shadow of His ultimate end. He knows His end is coming. In the book of Revelation... And this is where he will end. This is what his, the rest of his existence will be, which will be for eternity. They will be tormented day and night, forever and ever. Now, I know today we still have to deal with his shenanigans. But Jesus said it's finished. He says it's finished. The stronghold that Satan has placed in our life is torn down, it's gone. No sin should ever have a stranglehold on our lives. Never. The only reason why it will is because we let it. And we don't allow the Holy Spirit to help us tear it down. The cross broke the power of sin on our lives. So is there something in your life that you're struggling with? Some sin that seems to be so in control of you, but you you should be the one controlling it, but you just can't shake it. Is it a thought? Is it an attitude? Is is it something that you, you do? Jesus says, it's finished. But see, you have to take a hold of the cross and you have to believe that Jesus said what He said. Stop making excuses for sin in your life. And realize that Christ finished our salvation on the cross and He has set us free. We are forgiven. And de- Satan's destiny is set. Now for the rest of our time tonight, I want to I, I look at the cross and I want to look at what it meant to those who experienced it. And I also want to ask the question, what does it mean to us? In Mark chapter 15... Mark wrote, For there were also women looking on from a distance among whom were Mary Magdalene and Mary the mother of James the younger and of Joseph and Salome. Now, I, I just want to say I spent a lot of time reading on this because you'll find in different books of the, in different parts of the gospel, different gospels that they have different lists. But there is a way to actually combine them and so I've done that and so if you don't agree with me, that's okay. There, there's theologians who are arguing about this forever and they probably will, but this is what Mark says that it was Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James the Younger and Joseph and Salome. See, now for Mary Magdalene, the cross was a place of redemption. See, Jesus had removed demons from her, seven demons from her. Whatever Mary was before she encountered Jesus, she had opened the door. To evil. I'm, I'm of true belief that you don't just, Satan doesn't just come, demons don't just come on to you. You have to open the door for them. And you have to let them in. She let them in. And they completely took over. But Jesus delivered her from them and he transformed her life so much so that she followed him. She wanted to be so close to him that even in his death, she is there at the cross. And actually, if we jump forward, we'll talk about this Sunday, she is the first one to see him when he's resurrected. So for her, it was a place of redemption. For Mary, the mother of James, the younger, and Joseph, which we I believe is Mary, Jesus' mother, the cross was a time of realization and fulfillment. Now, I imagine that Mary is is looking at Christ on the cross, looking at her son dying on the cross, and she's thinking back all those times, all those encounters she had with him in her life. She's thinking back to that time when her and Joseph, when he was just a baby, took him to the temple to be dedicated. And they encountered a prophet there named Simeon. And Simeon praises God for this baby. And then he turns to Mary and he tells her something very profound. It says in Luke chapter 2, it says, And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and the rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And then he says, And a sword will pierce through your own soul also. So that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. I'm sure Mary is standing there thinking, my heart is pierced with a sword because of what's going on with my son. I'm sure she's thinking about all the things that she treasured up in her heart. I'm sure she's thinking back to the manger when the when the when the shepherds came. And worshiped him. And I think she's thinking about when Jesus was a little bit older and the wise men came to where they were staying and brought him gifts and worshiped him. It's also kind of interesting that at the beginning of the Gospel of John, in the second chapter, we find Mary urging Jesus to turn water into wine at a wedding. And he says, Woman, it's not my time yet. But he does it for her, anyways. He honored his mother. And now we see here at the end of John's gospel but there's very little in between those two things. Yeah, there's the time when they come his brothers and his mother come to take him because they think he's crazy. But beyond that there's not much said about her relationship with her son. You see even Mary had to be forgiven for her sins. She was not born sinless but was a sinner like the rest of us. But see, there's something very profound that's happening at the cross for Mary. This child, this son of God, who she carried in her womb for nine months. She gave birth to him. She raised him. But see, the the Gospels are not about her. She's not to be worshipped or prayed to. Even Mary had to be forgiven, like I said. I think this is the first time she's probably, maybe the first time she's actually realizing that he was not her child as much as she was his. But I think something even more profound was happening in Mary as she looked at Jesus. Everything was coming together, everything that she had heard, everything that she had thought. Everything she experienced, everything she saw, was coming down to that one moment. Now before I talk about the last woman that was at the cross, I I want to look at the only disciple to witness the crucifixion. John. Now all the other men who walked with Christ had abandoned him. They abandoned him in the garden. And none of them showed up at the cross. At least that we know of. I would assume that if the writers of the Gospels knew that Peter was standing far off or or James was standing far off, my guess is that they were not. They were all hiding, afraid, embarrassed. They had abandoned him, and they didn't even come to his execution. In the midst of excruciating pain, Jesus charges John to take care of his mother. To take care of Jesus's mother, it seems rather odd. I and mean, we know we know that Jesus had other brothers and sisters, half brothers and sisters. I mean, why didn't he charge his brother, his half brother James? I mean, James ultimately becomes the leader of the Jew- Jerusalem church. I mean, being the oldest, yes, he was responsible for taking care of his parents. We assume that Joseph is Joseph is gone by now. But Jesus passes that responsibility onto John instead of one of his own brothers. But see, his own brothers and sisters didn't believe in him. It's not going to be until he's resurrected that we find at least some of them understanding who he was. So Jesus at this time trusts John who himself had abandoned him in the garden when things got difficult. But he was willing to put himself in danger to be seen at the crucifixion of Christ. And so Jesus charges him to take care of Mary. You see, for John, the cross was a place of reward and a place of responsibility. See, in in doing this, in telling John, take care of my mother, basically. He says, woman, here's your son. Son, here's your mother. In doing that, Jesus is restoring John. He's restoring him to his rightful place. Because what those at the cross will witness is the most important event in human history, the death of Jesus Christ. And they're going to see that moment when Jesus bears the sins of the whole world, including their own. This is just a reminder that we can always come back to the cross and find forgiveness. We can always come back. So, let me talk about the last person we want to talk about tonight who was at the cross. Well, second to the last. (laughs) Jesus was the last. It was Salome. It is believed that Salome was the wife of Zebedee and the mother of James and John, she was also at the cross. It was also a possibility that she was actually Jesus' aunt. We don't know. The sister to his mother. Because she's also mentioned in the account of the women who go to the tomb the next morning. And that was not normally something done by just anybody. Usually it was family members or people really close to the person who would go and cover the body in anointing oil. So she was somebody very close to the family. And see, Salome, if you remember, was the one who asked Jesus, could you make sure that my sons sit on your right side and your left side when your kingdom comes? I think for her, it was a place of rebuke. Because see, when Jesus told her that in order for her sons to sit in those spots, which he wasn't even had, he didn't even have the authorization to t- say that, it's up to the father to decide who sits there. But if they are going to sit there, they have to drink the same cup that he is going to drink. And of course, James and John in their in their <laughs> they don't understand what's going on at that point when Jesus says that because he says, Oh yeah, I'm willing to do it. I'm willing to do it. I'm, I just have to say this, I'm thinking of I, the one scene that kind of reminds me of that is in The Lord of the Rings, when Pippin is, I don't know if you've ever if you've seen it, but they're, they're deciding who's going to take the ring to Mordor, and, and Pippin just runs forward with the crowd, saying, I'll do it! What are we going to do? And I think that was James and John. They're like, yeah, we'll do it! Because they didn't understand what the, what the what it was, what the cup was. What was the cup of wrath? Crap that Jesus was going to drink? It was a cup of wrath. But I think I think they now understand. John and his mother Salome understand as they're looking at the cross that the cup was difficult to drink. So Salome is at the foot of the cross witnessing the cup that Jesus is drinking, and probably pretty glad that Jesus that her prayer was not answered. Boy, thank goodness some of our prayers aren't answered. <laughs> And now I want to look at the cross itself. What was the cross to Jesus? The writer of Hebrews tells us in verse 12, uh, chapter 12, it says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, so that you may not grow weary and faint-hearted. I, I think for Jesus, the reality of the cross, what was happening on the cross was a fate worse than death. I mean, there are fates that are worse than death. And this one was extremely cruel. Yes, it was death. But what Jesus endured was much worse than just a quick death. He spent six hours on that cross. And I'm not going to go into the bloody details and the gory details. Google it. You'll get details of what happens when you're on the cross. Six hours hanging on the cross. Most of us can't sit still for six minutes, let alone six hours on a cross. He, he experienced the most painful moments of, of his life. Not only did he endure, endure physical pain, but he also endured the pain of rejection, of betrayal and abandonment. In the midst of it, Jesus cries out, Ela, elai, lama which means, actually, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And at that moment, he feels the separation of his Father, God, from him. Something from from eternity past he's never experienced. This was probably the most painful moment of the whole ordeal. But why did God forsake him? Because that's what happens when we sin. We are forsaken by God. Separated from God. This is the penalty for choosing our own way instead of God's way. But by the grace of God, Jesus was forsaken by God so that we don't have to be forsaken by God. He entered darkness so that we can walk in light. And for a moment, which I'm sure seemed like eternity to him on the cross, he experienced that separation so that we could spend eternity with God. It was because Jesus, of of how Jesus died... Because the fact that He did die, that, that we'll never have to experience being separated from God. He, Jesus promised He would never leave us or forsake us. Jesus was on the cross, punished for our sins, suffering the wrath of God, also, always, and it allows us to experience the joy of forgiveness. Without Jesus on the cross, you and I cannot experience forgiveness. Now we have about all the painful moments in our lives. We all have them. And many of them are probably pretty debilitating at times. But what Jesus went through was far much gruesome and worse than anything we could ever experience. See, when we go through those painful moments in our lives, you know, mostly, hopefully, we have family and friends around us to kind of walk through it with us. Jesus didn't have that. The, tw- the, uh, the twelve, the eleven, and then the one who betrayed him, they all abandoned him. The only one who was there was John at the, at the cross. The thousands who followed him wanted nothing to do with him. And now his heavenly Father has now turned his back on him. You see, while Jesus is hanging on the cross, his tongue gets swollen. There was just a few of the gr- gruesome details here. His back is torn apart, and, and what he has to do in order to breathe, he has to push himself up to take a breath. He was whipped. His back was all torn apart, so he's scraping himself on the cross. But he has to do that. Most of us, what would we do? I'm not going to talk. I'm just going to stay here so I don't have any more pain than I'm already having. But what does he do? He pushes himself up enough to say to forgive one of the thieves who are hanging beside him and say, today you will be with me in paradise. He looks at his mother and makes sure that John will take care of her. That's another time he pushes himself up. He pushes himself up to say, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He pushes himself up to tell them that he's thirsty. And by the way, they give him wine vinegar. Not exactly the most palatable thing to drink. And then he finally pushes himself up, up enough to say, It is finished. And then Jesus gives up his spirit. Into thy hands I commit my spirit. We have to understand that Jesus was in control the whole time. So what is the cross to you? Is it a place of redemption like for Mary Magdalene? Have you surrendered your life to Christ and been forgiven of your sins? Have you asked God to help you because you can't do it on your own? I hope so hope the cross is a place of redemption and forgiveness for you. Maybe it's a place of fulfillment, of realization. Like it was for Mary, his mother. Maybe realize that all that Jesus has done in your life, how he's walked with you through so many things, and you've experienced so many awesome things with God, and seen him in nature in, in all the th- moments of your life. And that Him paying the price for your sin is the ultimate thing He's done. Rejoice in that. You might see it as a time of responsibility. There are still some things you need to do. There's some sin in your life you need to deal with. There's some people you need to tell about Jesus. There's family you need to share the Gospel with. Or maybe the cross is a place of rebuke as it was for Salome. Is there sin that needs to be confessed and dealt with? Is there selfishness in your heart or unkindness or pride in your heart? Turn from these sins and lay them at the cross. Allow Jesus to help you overcome them in your life. Because you cannot do it on your own. Look at the cross. As the writer in Hebrews says, consider it. Contemplate it. Because when Jesus died on the cross, He was thinking of you. Paul wrote in Galatians, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave Himself for me. He loves you. And He gave Himself for you. Contemplate the cross. Turn to the cross. Let's pray. Thank you for joining us today. We hope this message was a blessing to you. If you're watching on YouTube, please like this video as it will help in spreading this message into the global online community. Please consider subscribing to our page so that you will receive notices when we post new messages. If you're watching this on Rumble, please hit the Rumble button for this video so that the gospel can be spread into the Rumble community. Also consider subscribing to our Rumble channel. You can also listen to our podcast on Amazon Music and Apple Podcasts. We hope you have a blessed day.